Breaking Down Wisconsin Basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, we're back. The Swing. Badgers coming off another win, another two wins, I should say, since the last time we talked. They took care of Ohio State at home and then went on the road and took care of Northwestern. They have now won seven straight games. They are ranked eighth in the country. They jumped 15 spots in two weeks, Jesse. They went from 23 up to number eight. Uh, They'll have a chance to move up even further if they find a way to beat Michigan State on Friday night in what is a uh, a huge game in the Big Ten race. Uh, Right now, Wisconsin sitting at uh, six and one, tied for the lead in the Big Ten with Illinois. Michigan State a half game back at five and one. They have not played or they will not have played since losing Northwestern over the weekend, but plenty to get to. Over these uh, over the next forty five minutes or so, and uh, we'll we'll finish up with your Twitter questions that came in last night after the Northwestern game. It was, I, I guess, we'll start though, Jesse, with with Ohio State because I think that is actually the the game that I think uh, I don't want to say means more, but it does because of how they did it. Because Johnny Davis did not have a good game offensively. He was four of eighteen. He scored fourteen points, but he was four of eighteen from the field. And I think it's at points earlier in this season. Maybe Wisconsin is unable to overcome that kind of uh, game from Johnny. He was still good defensively. He did other things. He was, you know, the leading rebounder. Like he did a bunch of different things. But what others were able to give them, specifically Brad Davison with 25 and Tyler Wall with 20, was just huge. And I think it, it makes me think their ceiling's a little bit higher because they can survive without having Johnny Davis be Johnny Davis on a on a night against a good team. Well, absolutely. The, the key to unlocking Wisconsin's potential beyond Johnny Davis and Brad Davison is Tyler Wall. And obviously there are other guys who have contributed and will continue to contribute, Chucky Hepburn and Stephen Crowell among them, the other two starters. But as we've said, Wall is starting to play the best basketball of his career, and he's doing it consistently. Over the last four games, he scored in double figures in every game, double figures in six of the last seven games. And in that Ohio State game, He continued to be assertive. In the first half alone, he was five for six from the field. He had 12 points. And I think maybe the most eye-opening thing is that he hit a three-pointer. And not just that, he's hit three three three-pointers in the last two games. And that's obviously an area of Tyler's game that has continued to evolve. But what he's able to do gives Wisconsin a different dynamic. He's being assertive, aggressive. He's taking guys off the dribble. He's crafty inside. He's always played good defense, and he rebounds well, among other things. So, obviously, they don't win without that performance, and certainly Brad's 25 points. And it says a lot about Wisconsin's team to win when the best player on your team, the National Player of the Year frontrunner at this point, plays the way that he did. This was a Twitter question, I think, but it was also a question I got I was on Sirius XM the other day and they asked me, obviously Johnny Davis is the most important player. Mm -hmm. Who's the second most important player. And I went, I went with Brad just simply because he's their best three point. Well, he's not right now. Johnny's their best three point shooter, but I, I still kind of think Brad overall maybe is, I don't know. That's, that's a tough conversation that I, I still have questions about Johnny's three point shooting, even though he just went four for five and he's now hitting 36 <laughs> and he's now hitting 30, 36%. But either way, this, this question was asked before what he did uh, against Northwestern. And I kind of think Brad is just cause he's the consistently is going to hit some threes 
He uh, brings it on both ends of the floor in terms of like his leadership. Greg Gard's voice is one thing. Brad Davison's voice is a completely different thing. And you can hear him even with the crowds the way they are. You can still hear his voice wherever you are in the arena. He's tough. He'll he'll rebound. He'll do he'll do everything like Tyler Wall is certainly a part of that, too. But I, I I think Brad Davison is their second most important player. But maybe Tyler Wall is the one that can take him to a different level. Is that I don't know if that's fair to say or not. I don't know if if he's the one that can take it to it. I'm talking myself out of Brad here um, <laughs> uh, as I do it. Like if he can take them to the to a, a, a different level, then maybe it's Tyler. But it's a I think it's a good question. I think it's a it's a tough question. Well, it's a very difficult question. I think it speaks to the the number of guys that could be the answer. Um, I, I mean, this is to a much lesser degree, perhaps, but I would put. Chucky Hepburn into the conversation just because of how many minutes he's playing as a true freshman. You've got a backup um, in Lauren Bowman who has contributed some, but they put so much stress on Chucky to be the guy, um, handle the ball, make the right plays. But in terms of the top three, uh, it's, it's Davis. I would put Brad number two. I would put Tyler three. Brad just makes so many little plays and even go back to that Ohio state game. You know, there was a moment, Late in the second half, Ohio State had gotten to within 56-49, a little under nine minutes left. Greg called a timeout. I believe it was the closest Ohio State had been since 1456 remaining in the first half. And what happens? Davison buries this really difficult step back three to give Wisconsin a 10-point lead. It was a huge shot. He's just got a lot of confidence. He's been through the wars and he makes smart plays. Um, not to say that Tyler doesn't, but I what Brad has done this season. He has elevated his game in a way that uh, is impressive and yet done it by letting Johnny and Tyler be themselves too. It's it's obviously this has been Brad's best season of his career. And it's exactly why I decided to come back. He he's told, he said this numerous times. I remember talking to him in the summer about this, why he decided to come back. I think they even talked about it on the Northwestern broadcast that he knows his ceiling or what he's always wanted to do was be a college basketball player. He doesn't have any uh, aspirations about being an NBA player or, or going to the pros. So that's why this season has been so meaningful for him. And he's put it all out there and he's just been as good as anyone could have hoped. And it's exactly what Greg Gard was hoping for. When you talk about letting Tyler and Johnny be themselves, right? Let them step to the front, even though Brad is still a leader, he's allowed these other guys uh, towards the end of shot clocks and towards, you know, to, to be themselves. I thought there was a great illustration of that Tuesday night when it was late in the shot clock. And at times, you know, in past seasons, Brad may have tried to be the guy. And I think at times he has this year, but this, this time he, I think he moved Chucky out of the way. So, you know, waved Chucky off and told Johnny to come get the ball and, and let him go to work towards the other shot end of the shot clock. And that's exactly what you were hoping for. I don't know if I, I Brad's always been a selfless player, but at times like he's, he, he would have taken over in that situation. And he didn't. He gave Johnny the opportunity to be Johnny. And um, I don't know exactly what the result of that play was, but I think it's at least an illustration of kind of what Greg had been hoping for. Yeah, um, I, I think so. Like I said, Brad's really done everything that you could have asked for this season. He's playing a ton of minutes, 33 a game, which is the second most on the team behind Johnny, but he's played more minutes than Johnny because Davis has missed a couple of games. And I just think he's he may not be shooting it as well from three as as he has or could, but pretty much everything else, um, he's been fantastic. And he's made clutch shots. And and like you said, he, he's made smart decisions and he's let these other guys do their thing. And that has 
been the key to Wisconsin getting to this point or one of the keys. Yeah. One of the keys for sure. So that, that, that was the Ohio state game. Like I, I, I still well, think we they, should, we should no, mention I, how no, no. good they are from three. Right, right. No, but I think that if that flows into what happened Tuesday night. Sure. Um, so what I'd like to mention before we leave Ohio state is their inability to, to finish games easily um, or wanting to finish games easily. I mean, like they, they dominated Ohio state, right? They were up double digits and, and, and yet they still had to sweat it out towards the end. And yeah. we saw that against Northwestern as well. We've seen it at other times. They're nine and one in games decided by six or fewer points. They don't need to be in games, six or fewer points. You know what I mean? Like they, they don't <laughs> need to be in 10 games that have been, you know, by six or fewer. And the only game they lost, you know, that where it was six or fewer was Johnny wasn't on the floor. So they're nine and oh in games where there's, you know, six points or less when Johnny's playing, but they, they don't need to be in that many close games. Finishing well and putting teams away are two different things. They've finished well, but they haven't been able to put teams away. Yeah. I, I guess I'm less concerned about it this, at this stage simply because I, it, it speaks to the other part of that conversation of is how well they finished. The Ohio State game specifically, the, the Buckeyes cut the deficit to six points, and it was like where <laughs> it sort of feels like it's slipping away for Wisconsin. And all of a sudden, and this also speaks to the number of guys that can hurt you, I think, for Wisconsin in, in, in the playing rotation. Stephen Crowell makes a lefty shot off the glass. He gets fouled. Davison cuts down the lane. Um, gets a pass from Crowell, makes it has an and one, and then Tyler Wall gets the steal from behind, and then the dunk and the foul makes the free throw, and all of a sudden it goes from a six point game to Wisconsin had an eight zero run, they're up fourteen points, and the game is over. Now certainly you would probably <laughs> like to give the fans less reason to bite their nails, but just the way they don't seem to get rattled to the point that it just completely falls apart, they come up with key plays at clutch moments. And they've done it consistent, consistently, which leads me to believe that this is something they can keep doing. So may not be ideal that they're blowing double-digit leads and making it close, but the fact, like Jim Polzine told us on the show last week, that they're building those types of leads also says something about how well they've been able to play. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree. But like, it was a 17-point lead with 3:18 left, and it got down to six with 55 seconds left. Like. That, that shouldn't happen. And again, they won the game. I'm nitpicking here because they're <laughs> they're freaking 15 and two and six and one in the conference. And I'm, you have to nitpick here at times, um, but they're penchant for, for doing that. And yet they still, in the end, find ways to win. That's why they are nine and one in, in games, as I said, decided by six points or fewer. And, and Ohio, the Ohio State game was not one of those games. They ended up winning by 10, but moving into Northwestern game, can't hit free throws. That almost cost them at the end. They've been a fantastic free throw shooting team all year. They were second in the Big Ten. They were ranked 20th in the country, I think, uh, coming into last night, shooting like close to, I think they were at 76%. And then they, you know, they missed five clutch free throws in the final minute, allowing Northwestern to stick around. Those are the nitpicky things that I think potentially, potentially could come back to haunt them at some point. I'm not saying it will, though. That's the nitpicky aspect of it. The non that the, the, uh, the good aspect of what they were able to do against Ohio state and Northwestern was shoot the three. You're right. They went 19 for 40 in those two games combined. They were over 50% for the first time all year against Northwestern. I think they went uh, nine for 17. And then you look, we talked about this with Jim. It was at 29% before these, before these games. And the, f- the fact remains that that would have been on par with the worst three-point shooting team in history. Now, after these two games, they're up to 31%. And I don't, <laughs> I, you know, I don't, that's still not great, but it's a, it's a step in the right direction. 
do you think that what they've done these last two games is who they are, or is it just a um, a small blip on a season long radar of of not being a great three point shooting team? Well, it's hard for me to say it's who they are after two games of shooting fifty percent when they went fifteen games of shooting under thirty percent. But I think it could be a sign that things are trending in the right direction. It's huge. It's a game changer for Wisconsin. Um, it's almost hard to believe that they could be. 13 and two before these last two games shooting under 30% from three, given how much teams tend to be reliant on the, on the three. So that's what makes this, that's what, no, and I I was, had been thinking about this because I just think it makes them just remarkable in the fact that they've been this good without needing the three pointer. Yeah. And that they've been able to do this without making three. And we've seen Wisconsin teams in the past when they go cold from three, they're screwed. And this team has has been cold from three pretty much the entire year, and yet they've still won this many games. Like I, I think that's a great thing. I, oh, yeah. I as, as much as you want them to be a good three point shooting team and a, a consistently good three point shooting team, they've proven that you don't need to be to win games. And for a Wisconsin fan base that has seen this team go cold, specifically from three, but to, you know shooting in general at times in in tournament games. That has to be like a huge, huge confidence booster, doesn't it? Just the idea that this team doesn't need to shoot well from three to win games against good teams. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That we've seen many times in many games, as you said, where Wisconsin goes cold and it's over. They don't have a shot. And this team, they do so many other things well that they're, they are always going to be in it. And let's face it, most nights, maybe every night, they've got the best player on the floor. And that obviously makes a big difference. So, it's tremendously encouraging to see what Wisconsin has done the last two games. Let's see if it continues against Michigan State, which is generally a pretty sound defensive team. But I mean, to see Johnny Davis bury four or five threes against Northwestern, that was uh, that's another encouraging sign that he's continuing to add that to his game. And it just makes you wonder, can anybody guard him? Um, and I know maybe we can get into Johnny and what he did against Northwestern, but if there's anything more you wanted to say on the three-point shooting, uh, I'll give you the floor. No, I, 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 the four, four for five is certainly a great step in the right direction for him. Um, not, I shouldn't even say it. it's not even a step in the right direction. He's been pretty consistently uh, solid all year. I think we probably need to mention at least one of those was off glass. Um, <laughs> as was, game. Yes, uh, as was Chucky's. I, I don't really have anything more to add on, on the three pointer aspect of it outside of the fact that I do think it is has to be has to be a positive that they show that they can win without needing the three despite how many teams rely on it to win games on a on a nightly basis now do they yeah. win the do they win these last two games without the threes uh no <laughs> yeah right but so I mean they shot 50% from three in the last two games and and you know the northwestern game in particular I thought the wildcats played very well to me it wasn't like Wisconsin is squandering an opportunity, even though Northwestern has struggled. They did beat Michigan State. It was a huge win for the program. I thought they played very well, um, but it took Wisconsin shooting as as the Badgers did from three to win both those games in the end. Yeah. So, all right, let's get into Northwestern game. You you, you had yeah. something that you wanted to talk about with Johnny. Yeah. I want to throw this out there to you and get your get your opinion on this. To me, what Johnny did against Northwestern was one of the most important impressive games he's had all season. I don't know where you want to rank it. The 37 down the road at number three, Purdue's got to be number one. Him dropping 30 against Houston was sort of the a moment where you went, oh, uh, this dude is a lottery pick now. <laughs> so maybe those are the top two. 
But in my mind, I- I'm so impressed by what he did against Northwestern because Chase Adige and anyone else they tried to put on him, they guarded the hell out of him, Adige in particular, um, to the point where he wound up with a bloody nose. But Johnny is so patient because you look at that game. He didn't take his first shot from the field until almost six minutes into the game. He airballs it, a, a drive to the left baseline. And then he doesn't make his first field goal until 11.22 left in the first half, the, the three-pointer off a, a Tyler Wall pass. And he winds up with 27, and he put in work. And it wasn't easy. And I know it's not going to be easy against a lot of opponents because he's going to be the focal point. He's not going to sneak up on anyone. But I just thought Northwestern defended him as well as it possibly could, and he still dropped 27 and shot better than 50% from the field and wound up getting to the free throw line 10 times and has eight rebounds. So to me, this was one of the most impressive performances of the season uh, by Johnny Davis. And a lot of it, I thought, really in the second half too, right? I mean, he had 17 of his 27 after halftime. He went two for three from three, but seven rebounds, two assists, two steals. Did have three turnovers, but what he did in the second half, like when they needed it, stepped up. And, uh, and I thought Stephen Crowell obviously had a, had a solid second half and Tyler Wall too, but you know, Johnny Davis is, is the engine that makes it go. Uh, I did find Chris Collins afterwards just hilarious. He was kind of funny during the game too. He, he really showed his Duke side during the game um, with the complaining uh, to the officials as much as he did. But, and I, I hate that this is becoming a, a constant theme on this show. Maybe it's, maybe it's just me being this way. With, with having to call or at least having to at least acknowledge coaches uh, freaking out and players freaking out after games about calls that are happening within a, within a Wisconsin game. We saw it with Iowa and, and now obviously saw it after the game with, with Chris Collins, very, very upset. He, he said that the foul call when they were trying to, when it looked like he was trying, like they were calling for Johnny to be fouled. It was in the final minute. It was, they were calling yeah. for him to be fouled. And, and, um, they went to follow him, but he got, it looked like he got a lot of ball. And, uh, but the foul had been called like even before he got to him. So he, he cried about that one. And I think it's, that was a legitimate gripe, right? Like it, when the foul was called, there had been no contact. I think he was just kind of expecting contact because that's what they were calling for from the sideline. But then he said that because of what happened at that end, they told Pete Nance to go to the basket and drive hard because he's going to get a foul because that's what Wisconsin was doing. Yeah. And he drove hard. Went back like it was good. It, it was against Chucky Hepburn, and he, you know, hands up, and he goes down to the ground. And Chris Collins says he he tripped. He got tripped. He got tripped. Should have been a foul. When you go back and look at the replay, he steps on Chucky's foot. Yep. He didn't. He, it should have been a travel. It shouldn't. The ball. I mean, it, Wisconsin got the rebound. You know, and got the ball. It should have been a travel. And there are calls that that go like that. But he was like the foul disparity uh, disparity and. Uh, more, more so the foul shooting disparity. Wisconsin shot twenty six and Northwestern shot eight. But if you look at the fouls, it was eighteen to thirteen in favor of Northwest or in favor of Wisconsin. Northwestern been called for eighteen fouls, but going into the final minute, when Northwestern needed to foul to get you know them to the free throw line, it was fourteen to thirteen. There was not as big of a disparity to the point where he needed to go out and criticize the officials. And I'd be surprised if he doesn't get a letter from the Big Ten with some of the things that he said after the game, but it feels like we have to do this almost every, after every single game with, with a Wisconsin opponent. And I, um, and I, I guess I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Cause I don't think that the, the, the officiating was uh, egregious either way. 
Like there were some calls that went against Wisconsin. There were some calls that went against Northwestern. It went both ways. Like it wasn't, it wasn't uh, one-sided to the point where you need to call them out after the game. And maybe that had a little bit to do with what happened at the end of the Michigan State game with Northwestern, where they almost, they almost uh, got screwed out of, out of that victory, but didn't. And, and maybe they, they don't get to the foul line nearly as much as, as other teams do. And I don't know if he's just fighting for their, for their uh, I don't know, their right to be at the free throw line, whatever it is, but it was a bad look. That's what I was going to say. It's a bad look. It comes across as sour grapes. And I understand the frustrations of a coach who's got a program that's trying to turn the corner this season. It's coming off a big win and you're within four points against the number eight team in the country. And you've got all the fans there, which I think was another element that's at least worth throwing out there. Like students hadn't been at a game in almost two years. So something that I think gave Northwestern a little bit of juice, but I'm with you. The, The call on Nance, there was, no call <laughs> and right. and Chucky played good defense and and Nance just sort of wound up throwing up a shot that was just a bad possession the way it turned out I agree with Collins about the Adige uh, foul call it's a terrible call the ref was anticipating a foul because they were Adige, calling for it sure but it, it's tough it's a split second you think he's going to foul he took he took his cookies as we used to say he took <laughs> He took Johnny's cookies. It should have been a, a bucket, and that could have changed the complexion there. Obviously, it's a terrible oh, sure. call, but yeah. that stuff happens. It's a single call in a game that you lost by two possessions, and there's so many other possessions in there. So it just, it, it, as you said, it's not a good look. It doesn't really serve anyone well to complain um, about something that, when you look back, it doesn't really make all that much sense other oh. than the one call. Yeah. Oh, and again, uh, you're right. It, it probably would have been a bucket. Oh, hundred percent should have been a dunk. The ball was going pretty good. It was easy. He, he slapped it out of there pretty good. Um, I'm not saying he wouldn't have caught it. He probably would have he probably would have caught up to it, but either way, Johnny missed both free throws. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they lost a possession out of it. They, they, they lost what probably you're right. Would have been an, would have been a bucket, but they didn't lose any ground in the game, uh, because of the foul. Uh, right. So, but it is what it is. And it just, it, it feels like, and, and but look, that, that's college basketball in general, right? Like the first thing I think every Wisconsin fan, and I bet you there's other fan bases in the Big Ten, look at when uh, the, the game gets close is who's the officiating? Is Bo Borowski there? Like that, <laughs> and that's horrible. That sucks. But that's college basketball too. Um, when he showed up in that Illinois Purdue game, I was like, oh boy. Uh, and of course, there was a long, extended replay review in that game with him uh, at the monitor, of course, because that's, that's Bo Borowski. He's got to have the, he's got to have at least one of those in the game where it's not, or didn't uh, the game didn't really happen. So, uh, but yeah, the officiating, it's, it, it is what it is when it comes to college basketball, they, they it's going to be a story, um, but it, it's a bad look. I think the way that both Iowa and now certainly uh, Chris Collins afterwards complaining as, as, if that is the reason why they lost the game. And I, I think when you give up 82 points, that probably has a bigger impact on it than uh, a foul here or there, especially when the fouls were not that, it, there was not that big of a difference before that final minute of the game when they were putting Wisconsin on the free throw line. So anything else has stood out from, from, those, from either of those games? No, I think we pretty much covered it. The three-point shooting is the biggest team storyline. And obviously the fact that Tyler continues to play well, that they won despite Johnny not playing well or shooting well, at least against Ohio State. I just, uh, 
I can't say enough how impressed I am by what Wisconsin's doing this season. I know there's still a long way to go. I didn't see this coming. I don't know who could have seen this coming. Obviously, Greg watched them and liked what he had in the team. But who knew it would come together like this, that Wisconsin's sitting here in a tie for first place in the Big Ten when they were picked before the season to finish 10th. It's, it's insane. It's one of the most impressive seasons I think I've ever seen from Wisconsin's basketball program, given what we thought could happen. I know I I threw this question out on on Twitter after they beat, oh, who was it? Uh, may have been the Ohio State game. I'm not positive either way. They, be, being where they are in the conference, they're they're tied for first right now. There are still 13 games left. They've got matchups with uh, uh, Michigan State. They've got matchups with uh, a matchup with Illinois. They've got another meeting with Purdue. So they've got obviously some tough matchups coming down the line. There's still a ton of time. And, you know, we, we've seen teams turn things around when they haven't looked great at this point in the year. And we've seen teams fall away uh, when they have looked good at this time of year, like Wisconsin seeing both ends of it. But say they do go on and somehow win the Big Ten this year. Mm-hmm. Is this the most surprising of their Big Ten titles? Because well, Bo the, Ryan's first, I think that's OK. So that so that that was my question like i think i think this one stands up with that but it's close mm-hmm. the only other one i think would be close would be the one two years ago where they went from six and six to 14 and six and one yeah that's you know, true. And, and, kind of a won, forgotten season yeah and won those yeah because they didn't get to be able they didn't have a chance to finish it off but i i have to like bose is up there but they also went 11 and five they tied Yep. Like the, this, the, uh, the, the conference season was only 16 games back then. This one obviously is 20. The teams, I think, are better this year. I think the conference overall is better this year. I don't think, uh, I don't think five wins wins it this year. Like, or I should say five losses. Like if you have five losses, I don't think you're winning it. If you're 15 to five, I'm not, I'm not sure you're winning it. Um, it. It's a tough question for me. I, I think this one would have to be right up there considering where they were predicted to start. The thing about Bo is it just came out of left left field, but they had also been in the final four two years before. So now all those guys weren't there anymore for the most part. It was also a final four that came out of left field. It was. I agree. Though, again, the guys that were on that team, talent-wise, were pretty darn good uh, yeah. coming, in as, coming in as recruits. So it's not like it was uh, a talentless team. But yes, being an eight seed and running it off, the way that they did certainly was surprising, but no, the that's really tough. It's really tough. I have to go back in time and, and just think about where they were at and uh, and where they came from as a team to to be able to win that title. This team, I think, is better than that group for sure. That's the, that's kind of where I'm my differing part of this. Like that team was never a right. top ten team in the country and didn't have yeah. and didn't have a national player of the year. Uh, guy like Johnny, but these are all these are all things that we're saying about it now, as opposed to saying it about it in November. We didn't know any of these things. If you look at it at the beginning of November for both teams, I think this one is just as surprising. Oh yeah, it absolutely is. It's tough to compare the one that the first one that Bo uh, won in the Big Ten just because of the way the seasons played out. And you addressed this a little bit, but that came out of left field from. Uh, you know, February, like yeah, you started six, February and you're yeah. like, what? They're, they're five and five in a big 10. They're 12 and 11 overall. And they, they stunk to start the season. Whereas this year's team has been good right from the start. They obviously yeah. lost early to Providence, but didn't have Johnny Davis 
it's 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 a hard one to answer when you say want to say definitively this one ranks number one this rank one ranks number two because wisconsin's got national player of the year candidate slash front runner but they also only brought back three guys who were part of the regular playing rotation like we this very well could have been a season that was a 500 team where they barely made it to the NIT or something like that. That's what it felt like. That's what, that's why people picked them to finish 10th and they've just been so much better from the start, but it it is, it ranks right up there. Um, And maybe it'll wind up being number one, but certainly a top two or three in in the last two decades from what we've seen uh, strictly based on, a lot of this has to do with expectations. I mean, it's yeah. not a better season than the 2014-15 team, no. uh, but, but we knew team. that team was going to be good. Right. So a lot of it is, it's all really based on perception and expectations. So this team right now could potentially, potentially be a two or three seed. It's not on the level of the 2014-15 team. Could it be on the level of the 13-14 team? Or Maybe. is that? That, was, that team got a two seed, right? Yep. And in Milwaukee, if you and if you look, which bracketology <laughs> means absolutely zero, <laughs> but we like to talk about it because it gives us something too. Wisconsin's a three seed playing in Milwaukee right now, and yeah. uh, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's, I think it might take a lot for them to fall out of Milwaukee based on the way they've been playing right now. Obviously, you got to keep it going. If you keep yeah. winning, if you keep winning, you're going to be, you're probably going to be there. Uh, you probably have to be at least a top four seed. To be there, yeah. at least. I don't. I don't even know if they'll put them in there as a four. Th- things are handled a little bit differently now than they were back in two thousand three, uh, or excuse me, uh, two thousand four when they got put there as a six seed. And I know Pitt that year was not happy about it at all. Uh, Wisconsin won the first game, and they got a really tough matchup against Pitt, who was probably a uh, a really. Uh, Wisconsin deserved a higher seed than a six and Pitt did not deserve to have to play in Milwaukee. Um, I think I, I, I seem to remember someone talking about that and Bo being saying we would have taken, we would have been okay with being a four and, or a five and going somewhere else where we didn't have to face Pitt in the second round type of thing, <laughs> as opposed to just getting to play at home. But we, we know how valuable playing in Milwaukee can be. We saw it in that 2013, 14 season in that Oregon game. And I don't think that they come back without the crowd. I no. think the players have have said uh, have talked about that, but um, I I don't think they do without without the crowd. So it is a huge advantage, and it would be uh, pretty special, you know, at Pfizer Forum if they're able to make it there. All right, let's get into a few Twitter questions here. We'll start with Vance, and he says, uh, "What is this team's Achilles' heel? If it has one, can the team overcome it?" Well, I think one thing we've talked. Well, it's a couple things. They've been a bad three-point shooting team. Can they overcome it? Yeah, they've overcome it all season. And like you discussed, they seem to have sometimes they struggle closing out games or at least keeping the foot on the gas. But they're still they've got what's their record in uh like nine and one and yeah, and six in, in games seven. decided by six or fewer. Yeah. So those are the two that I would say, and yet look what they're doing. Yeah. Would you say that, you know, post defense and maybe even post offense can be a, an Achilles heel. When I say that I'm, I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking of the centers with, with vote and, and Crowell. I'm not thinking of Tyler because Tyler's inside game, especially his post game. He's been really, really, really good 
they threw a little bit of a different face at him or a little bit of a different body at him uh, with Northwestern, a little bit taller guy. So it was a little bit tougher on Tuesday night, but I don't know. I, we'll see. They're going to, I mean, they're going to face Kof, uh, Kofi Coburn. They're going to face some of these other guys again, and, and even for the first time in certain situations. And I think, you know, we'll see where they're at because I think that is, that can be, that could be difficult facing yeah, some I, of the big men in here. And it, and it may be, Here's the thing about that is the, the big men that they're going to face in the Big Ten are the best ones that they're going to face in the year, like in the country. Like that's that's just what it is right now with the way that the Big Ten has all these different faces and all these different guys that they can throw at you. And some of them, some of them are the best in the country and they're all in the, <laughs> the race for potentially, potentially uh, not just Big Ten player of the year, but uh, national player of the year. A lot of them, big bodies. Uh- I would be more inclined to express concern in that area if Stephen Crow wasn't playing as well as he was as he is right now. And yep. maybe if he gets in foul trouble, that changes things a little bit. But just look at the last four games, for example, Iowa, Maryland, Ohio State, Northwestern. He's shooting. My math is right. 16 for 22 from the field. Yeah, um, he's been outstanding. And it's not like he's going out and getting 21 like he did against Illinois State, but he's been consistent. He plays hard. He can score in a variety of ways. We've seen him hit some critical shots from the perimeter. Oh, yeah. And he's done well inside. And Chris Vote, you know, he is who he is, but he knows who he is. Um, he's not going to give you a bunch of scoring, but he's going to be tough. We saw him got a, you know, a, a critical block against Northwestern, or at least an impressive one. So it's not a ton in terms of what you get offensively, but it's, it's enough. It could yeah. it be a problem? Maybe. But I think Crowell is, is elevated his game to the point that it's less of an issue right now. You're right. You're right. Vance also asks, uh, what does success look uh, look like here on out? Big 10 mm-hmm. titles, Sweet 16, Elite 8. How carried away can I get? <laughs> you know, I, we probably talk about this every year. It's really difficult in college basketball, especially because of the NCAA tournament, which um, clouds how you view what the entire season was if they let's say they finish second or third in the big 10 and they don't win a title that's still an incredible leap from where we thought they would be and they i mean let's say they win the big 10 title let's just say that but they don't make it out of the first round or the first weekend of the ncaa tournament i guess you'd view it as a success but you'd be really disappointed i mean you'd rather them finish fourth than make the second weekend maybe you disagree mm. Maybe you disagree because Big Ten regular season titles um, are big. But like, let's say they made the Elite Eight or something like that and finished second in the Big Ten. Would you rather they won the Big Ten and, and flamed out as a three seed and lost to a 14 seed in the first round? Mm-hmm. Or would, would you rather they get to like the Elite Eight? I would. Uh, yeah, I mean, losing the first round as a three seed. Not ideal, especially since that game would be in Milwaukee. Uh, so that, that'd be probably pretty difficult to deal with. I think March is what matters in most fans' minds. Yes. You know, and when you talk about accomplishments, elite eights and sweet 16s are brought up, you know, it's, it's the big 10 titles are brought up too, but all those are considered accomplishments as yeah. opposed, as opposed to, you know, winning an orange bowl, say, <laughs> you know, like, oh man, you're going to be on that forever. Hey, it's a new year, six game. They won 13 games. What right. do you want from them? Well, you know, a big 10 title, right? <laughs> like, you know, when you, when you talk about Barry Alvarez, he, you know, they, they won three big 10 titles. They also won three Rose bowls. Um, but it's the big 10 titles. I think that are brought up first 
in basketball, it's a little bit different. Big 10 titles are important, but success in March is, is where coaches, you know, I don't want to say make their legacy or, you know, but it kind of well, do. It kind of is. Oh, they do. It, it's talked about all the time. Like when Bo, before Bo Ryan had a Final Four, it was all, why can't he get to the Final Four? Why doesn't he have a Final Four? He can't be that good of a coach if he hasn't been to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, that, yes, I think I think success in March is more important than than conference titles. And certainly if, if Wisconsin were to win the Big Ten, it would be, you know, it goes up. It goes up in the rafters or not even the rafters. It goes up in the facade there at the Kohl Center and it's important, but runs to the Sweet 16, to the Elite Eight, Final Four, they matter more, I think, yeah. than the Big Ten titles. Now, you can decide what is more important. Uh, do we, you know? Do you talk about Sweet 16s or Big Ten titles? I think Big Ten titles probably trump Sweet 16s. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, in the moment, yes, of course. Yeah, getting, getting out of the first round of the tournament, much more important than a Big Ten title. But I think the question was what what we should <laughs> expect or what... No, um, what, does, what does success look like? Yeah, well... I think, I think finishing top four in a Big Ten is success. You might be disappointed if that happens now because they're tied for first. Again, it goes back to what your expectations are at a certain moment in the season. I don't think it's. I think it's still successful even if they don't win the Big Ten this year. I mean, it's a challenging league, and and to be top four would be impressive and get those buys in the Big Ten tournament. In terms of the NCAA tournament. I, I think a second weekend. Certainly right? a second weekend. Yeah. Certainly. And, you know, you roll the dice and see what happens there. This team is playing in a way that should allow you to dream big. We obviously never know what's going to happen. You don't know what the matchup will be, all that stuff. But at least right now, based on what they've shown on the court, they don't seem to get rattled. They've got, they've got a dude who is just going to kill you on the court. And he's been very consistent for the most part. And he's better than anyone else on the court in most games. And that's special. And Wisconsin doesn't have that all the time. And it just seems like the pieces have really come together for the chance to do something special. Now, will it happen? We don't know, but they could do it. I really, I mean, could this team go to the final four? I, I, I don't want to speak in hyperbole or anything, but I wouldn't rule it out right now based on what they've shown us. Jesse Temple says Wisconsin's <laughs> going to the final four. No, but I just think you've got every right to dream big because of what you've seen. And it's a second weekend team based on what we've seen at the very least. That's how I'm going to promote this episode. There you go. Um, our guy, Raul Vasquez asks curious on your thoughts, Wisconsin's depth past Davison Davis. And now wall was always a question, but how concerning is the lack of production off the bench? Well, it hasn't seemed to matter a ton yet. I think we discussed this earlier in the season. Um, it vote, still can. <laughs> and then, then vote went off. So not, not off. <laughs> I guess. But, uh, gave, gave them, gave them some, uh, some big minutes and some, yeah. and some production. It, it's just, I mean, it's a slight concern. I mean, yes. l- look at what happened against Northwestern. The bench gave them four points, all of them from vote. But these other guys, they're not being asked to do much. Carter Gilmore comes in and plays seven minutes. Three assists. Yeah. Doesn't take a shot. Nobody else took a shot other than Bowman took one. So you've got Gilmore, Bowman, Neath, Jordan Davis, Ben Carlson. They didn't really, they weren't asked to play a ton of minutes and, and they combined to take one shot from the field. So this formula seems to work for Wisconsin. Now where things would get out of whack would be if someone gets hurt or someone's in foul trouble and you've got to push minutes on guys who you would not ideally want in that role. But right now it seems to be okay. It could be a concern, certainly. 
Yeah. Um, CT Badger asks, is it my imagination or Davis and Wall developing some real synergy? Seems like Johnny has frequently been finding Tyler on cuts. Game knows game. <laughs> I don't think it's imagination. I think they're all playing very well together and they're complimenting each other. And one of the things that stands out to me with Johnny's game is, and it, maybe it goes back to like I was talking about the start that he had against Northwestern. For the most part, he doesn't seem to force stuff. It just comes in the flow of the game. And that might sound cliche, but it's a really big deal to have your best player be like that. He doesn't need 25 shots. He took 15 shots from the field and got 27 because he's also able to get to the line and he's shooting well from the three-point line. And that allows other guys to do their thing too. So he's a willing passer and that helps a ton. And, and Tyler's elevated his game. So with Johnny, Tyler, and Brad playing the way that they are and other guys complimenting them, it's, uh, it's a really special thing right now. I'd like to ask you, though, does it feel at times, it felt like at times against Ohio State that, that Johnny kind of forced it a few times. Mm-hmm. Are there times yeah. where you see that, though? Yeah, I think so. Because uh, okay. there are moments. I mean, he's just a sophomore, and he wants to take over, and he wants to be that guy. He's not perfect, and there are, there are occasions where he, he does that. But for the most part, I think that's another thing I've been impressed with is just the way he gets his shots and that it comes off what Wisconsin runs for the most part. I will say, like, maybe one of the most impressive buckets of the Northwestern game was after he got the bloody nose, he was super pissed off, and he was just like, I'm getting the ball. I don't care how many dudes are going to guard me or foul me. I'm going to score. And he went inside and got the bucket. And that was a moment where it was like, you know he's going to do whatever he can to get his shot, and it's not going to matter because he's going to score. Those are some of the qualities that's just like, wow. That's one of the moments that I wish I was at the game because before that happened, it was a timeout, right? They're 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 at the monitor scene if there's any foul, right? So mm-hmm. uh, he's over there in his in his nose, and then all of a sudden, Greg Guard walks over to him, puts his arm around him, and like I don't want to say whispers into his ear because I don't think he whispered, but he mm-hmm. said something to him. And the play right after that was the one that you're talking about, the one mm-hmm. where he went into the post. There was three guys down there, and he still finished. And I feel like I I want to know what Greg Gard said to him. That, that, would have been, that would have been my question after the game. It would have been, this happened, and I probably wouldn't have seen it because I was going to be at the game and wouldn't have seen it on the, you know, uh, on, on the monitor. I wouldn't have seen it, so I probably wouldn't have known to ask it, but I, I desperately want to know what was said because I, in my mind, I'm imagining him say, take it right at these mother <clears throat> and, and, and <laughs> take it right to their faces, right? So like that, that is kind of what I had in my mind because as soon as he inbounded the ball, he went down to the post, got the ball, and went to work. And I feel like, I don't know if Greg was like, Hey, they're going to give you a call inside. If you, if you take it inside, maybe, maybe that's what he said, you know, maybe, uh, maybe to like a makeup call for, for not calling a foul there. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll give you something if you go inside and take it right at him. I don't know, but I feel like my imagination wants me to, uh, is thinking the first part and my, the reality is probably the second part. I like to think it was like the scene in major league on the comedy central edited <laughs> version. When Roger Dorn goes up to Rick Vaughn, and says, I only got one thing to say to you, Vaughn. Strike this guy out. <laughs> so that's probably what Greg said. Yeah. So, that, I mean, yeah, that was, that was one instance I wish I had been there covering the game as opposed to being on my couch back home. That was literally the only moment that I wanted to be there. But that was, that, <laughs> that was, that was it. The other, uh, you know what? I lied. Uh, there was a second moment I wish I was there. And that was the incident on the sideline. The incident this involved on- Brad and Chris Collins? Yes. Yeah. What the hell was that? 
I don't so, know. <laughs> so Brad, so Brad's over there, you know, they're, they're trying not to foul. I think they're trying to steal it. Try maybe trying to get a, you know, a, the, uh, the backcourt call the time call. And he, he, you know, Brad eventually calls timeout or someone called timeout. And then him and uh, Collins, like, I don't know what was Collins making fun of him. Was Collins like mimicking him? Like, I don't know. What the hell was that? I don't know. I don't know what happened, but Brad was uh, pretty uh, riled up at that moment. It was a good thing. They, they got him away. He was fiery in that moment, but also he was probably getting fouled. I mean, yes. He was trying to get rid of the ball. There were two guys on him. It certainly looked like he they could have caught a foul and they didn't. So I'm sure that contributed to the situation too. But like, what was? I mean, they had to hold Chris Collins back too. Like, it was like, what are you? What are you doing? And it, it you know, I was like, is he's happy? Is he having his little uh, frantrum moment? Is this the is the is the Collinsrum? I don't. I don't even know what what would you call a like Chris Collins frantrum? I I don't know. But it, it felt like that there was an opportunity there for that to potentially happen in that situation. Cause he was heated. He was heated. And I, that that's another question that I would love to know what happened down there. So two questions. The only reason I would have liked to have been at that game, those two questions. And uh, I plan on getting at least, at least to ask those questions. We'll see if we'll get any answers um, out of those. Dwight uh, brought this up, I think uh, earlier this week. And he said, um, random question, where would you rank Greg guard among current big 10 coaches? Top half, top third, he says Izzo is obviously number one. Painter, long established. Underwood uh, has been and had success, but he or is it relatively new at Illinois, but had success other places. Where would you put him? I don't think there's many coaches who are ahead of him right now, <laughs> to be honest. You know, like Jawan Howard okay. hasn't been at Michigan very long. Um, they were off to a really good start in his first season, but he hasn't been there very long. Yeah, and they're struggling this year. Yeah. Uh, Top four. Does that sound reasonable? I think it does. In terms of coaching jobs this year, I think there's a very good chance. Number one. Yeah. I think there's a very good chance he's he's, uh, not just Big Ten coach of the year, but going to potentially be in the conversation for coach of the year nationally if they keep this up. You know, and he would, that would have been, that would be his second coach of the year nomination. What he's done and what his assistant coaching staff has done as well. And I think it's probably worth noting their impact on this too, because while what was said in that uh, meeting room was, you know, directed at Greg Gard, I think the assistant coaches play a role in that too. And to bring this all back together and to, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say wipe the slate clean or even to uh, to mend some of the cracks in the uh, the foundation that Jim thought that there was, it takes a lot of people, and, and Greg's not alone in that. Yeah, I, definitely. And and I mean, I think it's much easier now to look at what happened last season with the leaked video and kind of more easily wipe it away. That it was a group of guys who were really frustrated. It was a team that wasn't living up to expectations. It was a COVID year. There were a lot of factors at play. Perhaps you had an assistant coach who was completely undermining the head coach and trying to take his job. Like all those guys are gone other than Brad, which is the exact guy you would have wanted to return from that group. And they're playing great basketball. And yeah, I mean, if you just look overall in the big 10, like Greg's won 62% of his big 10 games, there's not many guys that have been better. Tom Izzo obviously has won about 69% and Matt Painter's won 62.4%. And both those guys have been there much longer. They're institutions at their schools. And beyond that, I don't know who else you would really even say is, is in the conversation, you know? I mean, Chris Holtman is a good coach, but 
He's won 60% of his games at Ohio State. Has only been there since 2017. You might even put guard three, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. Definitely is. And uh, I think Chris Collins, by the way, 32.5% uh, winning percentage in the Big Ten. Only, so only just thought North, I'd put that out there. Only Northwestern. Only <laughs> Northwestern. Literally only Northwestern. You take him to the tournament one time. And uh, it gets you a lifetime. Then again, the guy, you know, Bill Carmody was there for 10 years and never did anything either. So only Northwestern. (laughs) Bob says, or Bob asks, love what Chucky Hepburn brings, but where are the assists? Uh, (laughs) So I guess I need to think about it. Where are the assists? I mean, I don't know. He mostly takes care of the basketball. He's got 34 assists this season. It's second on the team to Johnny, who's got the ball all the time. So, you know, it's two assists a game. It's not, it's not huge assist numbers, but he's doing a lot of other things too. And he's, he's scoring better. So I don't know. Is that a nitpicky thing? eh, Most important thing about last night or about Tuesday night, 35 minutes and zero turnovers. That's exactly. I always look at the assist to turnover ratio. It's like my favorite stat. Yeah, he was he was one to nothing. I mean, he's he's <laughs> do that every game to be all good, right? Yeah, one assist, Plus, no turnovers. You give Johnny the ball, and he's going to wind up, you know, taking away your assist. He might take three dribbles to get his bucket. Yeah, there I also was was shocked that he missed the free throws at the end. I'll be honest. Um, he wants to be in those moments. I'm talking about Chucky. That is, I he wants to be in those moments. He wants to be that guy. He's been that guy at other points this year. So that was a. That was a, a little surprising. Tim says, uh, how can the football team, I know this is, maybe, maybe I should, uh, maybe should I say this for the camp for later this week. Um, <laughs> okay. But he, I'll throw it out here and you can tell me if it's a basketball question or a football question. Uh, how can the football team with similar preseason expectations outside of Brett McMurphy uh, follow <laughs> what the basketball team has continued to do to blow expectations out of the water? Being ranked eighth still seems surreal. I love this team. I don't even understand that question. So how can the football team do what the basketball team is doing by playing really well and being a top 10 team? <laughs> how do they blow expectations out of the water? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think I, I think the big 10 West the last two years. So uh, you start by doing it. that. Yeah, they haven't done it. So uh, meeting expectations would probably be the first step for them. <laughs> I'd say that. Yes, that's a step in the right direction. No, I, I see where he's coming from, though. Like it's, the you know, for the most part, no one's expecting the Wisconsin football team to do anything next year. And uh, heck, Jim Polzine's already uh, talking about them being uh, a fantastic year in 2023. I don't know if you saw that in his uh, open gym column. Fantastic column, by the way. Um, but has already been pointing towards 2023. It seems a little, little early. I read the column. I'm not ready for that. I read, the, I read the column, though, Jim. You don't have to worry about that. His, his, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to get into it, but uh, I read it. At least I read it, but I, I see where he's coming from. Just in the idea that, you know, how can, is it, is it better to be, have zero expectations and overachieve like this basketball team has done, or do you have the expectations or you, you welcome the expectations that the football team has had and, and hasn't met the last two years? Well, it's way more fun to have no expectations and watch your team go out and kick everyone's ass yes, <laughs> because I, it's so enjoyable. Yeah. If you're a fan, yeah. those are the seasons that are just, you remember years and years later. It's really hard to meet expectations when the expectations are you got to win the division and be in the conference championship. Uh, unless you're Ohio State, it doesn't <laughs> happen every year. Yeah, and and when you lose that game, and uh, I should say when you lose to Michigan and don't get there, yep. you have a whole lot of apathy towards the Rose Bowl. Um, 
which is I- impressive. Good job, Buckeyes. Uh, <laughs> nu- Nuclear Badger says, uh, can the Badgers ever win a game that doesn't make me twitchy at the end? No. It would be nice to have a win going away. Sorry. No. No? no I don't so, know. I mean, there'll probably be some, but this is Big Ten <laughs> basketball, man. It is, man. But they, they, come on now. Come on. What do you want? You want them to I win want- by 22? No, absolutely not. I want them to have a 17-point lead with three minutes left and not have to be uh, worried <laughs> in the final seconds or in the final 30 seconds of the game that you're going to blow it, which, uh, again, Ohio State, and then not able to pull away from Northwestern. Again, that's all nitpicky BS. Enjoy. I, I think, and I probably should shut up, and I will shut up um, and say, you know, enjoy it because uh, what this team has done in close games has been fantastic. Would you like them to not... Uh, Test your heart towards the end of games. If you're a fan, obviously. Um, well, but I'll give but, you a game. What'd you say? I'll give you one. I'll give you one game. I'm sure this will be bulletin board material because so many people are just like hanging on our every word. How about the regular season finale at home, March 6th against Nebraska? That game <laughs> might mean that that game might mean something for Wisconsin's Big Ten might regular season title hopes might. And, uh, you know, Nebraska's 0-8 in the Big Ten and 6-13 and overall. So if you're looking for one, that there you go. It. Mark, it on your, mark it on your calendar and, and hold out hope that you make it until then. Well, you already said that they're going to the Final Four, so I'm wondering if... Uh, Did you, not you, say that. Oh, my bad. Uh, I'm wondering if you've pegged them as Big Ten champions. Yes. Oh, boy. Um, and, and, will, and will that game just be a crowning achievement? Or I should say, will it just be the crowning moment? <laughs> Or will they uh, need it to win it? I'm not picking them uh, over Michigan State until they beat the Spartans on Friday. So I'm not answering that question. I, I'm, I don't think I'm not picking them right now to win the Big Ten. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, they only, the thing about this is they already beat Purdue on the road. They get Purdue at yep. home. They don't go. I should say they don't get Illinois at home. They have to go to Illinois, I uh, believe, late this month. Um so, or maybe it's uh, early February. Either way, uh, so this uh, it's going to be tough I mean, to win it. There's no doubt about that. And but the way that they've played to this point, it gives you hope if you're a fan that they're going to be able to finish it off. And I don't, I don't want to say anything from here out is great because it's not. You've now raised the expectations to be in the number eight team in the country. And what you've done, you have two of the best wins, perhaps two, maybe the two best wins of anybody in the country with over Houston and over Purdue. That uh, the expectations are high now. And enjoyed all that you've seen to this point, but now the expectations are you better keep winning, or or else type of thing. Maybe the pressure gets ticked up a little bit. They haven't been, they haven't really been. I don't think they've really been playing under pressure to this point. They've kind of just been. No one expected anything from us, even though we we believed in ourselves. Now we're going out and proving it. People are starting to believe in them, and we'll see if. Uh, I don't think they need to make people believe at this point. Yep, I think that's fair. They've done more than anyone could have expected, but you've got to keep it rolling. It's a long season to go and. Exactly as you said, expectations are high now. So we'll see what happens when they're they're under the microscope here, and the spotlight spotlight grows even bigger. But to this point, they've seen they've they've seemed to be pretty free and easy, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, if, if any team should be wearing the t-shirts, make them believe it would be this group at the beginning of the year. It shouldn't have been the group that started the year in the top five, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Uh, that was still fun. So. All right, uh, Wisconsin and Michigan State on on Friday night. Any feeling one way or the other that that one? Spartans have been stewing for a while. They they, they will not have played since they lost to Northwestern. 
Yeah. Well, I know I said I won't make a, a pick until they play Michigan State, but I, I'll pick Wisconsin at home. They're just they're on a roll. And I'm sure I'll eat crow the next time we do a show, but <laughs> I'm not hedging. I'm making right. my pick there. All right. We will be back next week to talk about that and and more. And we'll see if this fun ride for the Wisconsin basketball team can continue against the Spartans. All right, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right. You've been listening to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.